Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen. Not joined today by uh, Bradford or Mason. They are off in enjoying their long weekend. But joining me today is a good friend of a program, Jets fan, former Utah beat writer, but also just good guy overall and fun time to talk sports with Josh Newman. Welcome to the program. It is it is Josh Newman week. Well, welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so, how are things going with you? Obviously, um, things are are changing and evolving these days with you, and uh, you hanging in there uh, through through all that. I did not have a good way to start this, so I I figured right. I just I just start there. That's all right. Yeah. No, hanging in there uh, for people that are unaware. Uh, no longer the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, trying to figure some things out, got a couple of things cooking. Um, so, you know, when something happens, I'll, uh, I'll be able to share. Great. Well, we will talk about a lot of things today because, uh, there are a lot of things to talk about. You are a Jets fan. They have one of the moves of the off season by acquiring, uh, Aaron Rodgers. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, Utah football outlook maybe some some basketball thoughts see if i'm anywhere near uh having a uh, a competitive basketball team to you know uh just keep an eye on from time to time which feels like it's been been a little while since that's been happening around here and uh other uh kind of general nonsense that we get into but first i've i've been reading a book josh i've been reading um yes this uh, America's Game. Uh, I don't know if you've ever come across it. Uh, it's kind of more or less the it's a Michael McCambridge book. Um, kind of more or less the definitive like history book of the NFL. Very very okay. interesting. Kind of focus from like the beginning of the sport in you know the late 1930s all the way <clears throat> up to the 1990s. Pretty much uh, is is what I gather when the book ends, but ironically enough as i was going through um the audiobook last night as as that actually has helped me get through what is uh i believe a 700 page book um <laughs> and it, it is deeply prosy I, I i like it a lot in that in that regard but definitely not a quick read but uh, really good information but uh ran across the joe namath uh storyline and arc last night and so obviously you were not alive when when no. uh, when joe namath was kicking but can you just tell me growing up as a jets fan like is there still like mystique and like like <clears throat> what what kind of reverence was Joe Namath giving to you growing up by maybe like your parents or your dad? I don't know how involved they were with, with the Jets as an organization through through their time. Like, what what do you remember growing up hearing about Joe Namath? You know, when I was a young kid, like discovering football and sports, we're talking about like the late '80s, probably like '88. You know, then I'm you know my formative years, teenage years were in the nineties. And I really start, you know, to love the jets and, and to love sports. Like, yeah, Namath was like, still is this revered, almost like mythic figure in jets history, just because one, he was, you know, Joe cool, right. This very good looking guy, 
with the fur coats and he owned New York and the women and the whole thing. So that's like part of the mystique. And then the other part of the mystique is right. Super Bowl three, right. The, you know, the AFL champion jets are playing the, uh, you know, Don Shules, Miami dolphins day before the game. Namath is talking to reporters out by the pool and he guarantees victory, right? Nobody thought the jets could be the, you know, the mighty Miami dolphins jets up, you know, end up winning the game 16, seven, you know, the like lasting iconic image of that game is like Namath with one finger, like running off the field, right? The Jets win the Super Bowl. Um, still, obviously, their only Super Bowl win, only Super Bowl appearance in franchise history. And, you know, that game, that win kind of led to the merger or helped, you know, facilitate the merger uh, a couple of years later between the NFL and the AFL. So, yes, like back then through the years, even now, you know, as Namath is still alive, is very active in, you know, he'll grant interviews and he's around the team and, you know, the beat reporters will still call on him if, if something major happens. Namath is like this revered, massive figure in Jets history and football history and New York sports history, right? Super Bowl three is, you know, if you want to rank the, you know, the all-time iconic moments in the history of New York sports, I don't know that Namath is number one, but he might be, right? He's certainly in the top two or three. Now, to boil that down a, a little bit more, you know, the, you know, the angst-ridden New York sports fan in my heart and soul, you know, Joe Namath was overrated, okay? You take away the, you take away the Super Bowl, you know, go look at Joe Namath's numbers minus the Super Bowl. He had a lot more interceptions than touchdowns. And, you know, Without the Super Bowl, he's just a guy. He's just a guy who played quarterback in New York, had a couple of good years, was probably more bad than good. But that Super Bowl, that Super Bowl was everything then. And to a lot of people, it's still uh, it's still everything now. Yeah, Namath is still this like titanic figure in Jets history, of course. Yeah, it, just a really interesting uh story arc obviously there's a, a brief period during that time where obviously st he steps away from football because of his involvement with with his uh bar that he runs and you know but I, obviously there was a big focus on the book of you know pete roselle kind of talking him into stepping away from that and coming back and being you know the face of the new combined leagues and and right. in some ways like namath you know helped save the super bowl a little bit because those first few it was just not competitive between the afl teams right and the nfl teams and sure. everyone thought well they'll they'll never really compete at the same level and joe namath comes out and says okay there is one really great player in the afl and and there are some great teams and and that just kind of builds up the mystique more yeah i, I obviously the the pool, uh, the pool scene, pretty iconic as far as sports pictures and and moments go. Uh, yes. but yeah, no, I, I I found that fascinating that I I came across that in the book. Uh, as we are were hurtling towards this interview today, so uh, I uh, yeah, I, I just found that to be extra fascinating. I don't know about you, Josh. I kind of like like the history stuff. You know, it kind of gets me. It, it it gets me gets me going a little bit. I like I like looking back, especially like things I'm interested in. I like I like history. 
So. Yeah, I mean, I do the yeah, no, I agree with you. I do the historical stuff, too. And like now that I'm a little older, you know, I just turned 41 and, you know, you start thinking about, you know, we just passed the 25th anniversary of Jordan's iconic final shot with the Bulls against the Jazz in the 98 finals. And it's like, wow, that was 25 years ago. I was a high school junior and I can remember this very vividly. I was a high school junior. I was studying for finals. It was a Saturday night. It was raining and I took a three hour break to watch Bulls jazz because, you know, it could have been Jordan's last game, just stuff like that. Right. And like, I think, I think you and I have talked about this. I grew up a Knicks fan, right. Like rooting for the nineties Knicks. And we're just like very far removed from that. When I think about those things, like I, I feel pretty old. Mm. Yeah. Well, time, time, time stops for no one. That's, that's <laughs> the, uh, that's uh, a a recent uh recent thing I've I've learned. So uh, it, time time holds for no man. So that is uh the uh, the unfortunate fact of the matter. All right, the Jets, obviously big story this offseason. Acquire Aaron Rodgers. I just I just want to know how how does this make you feel, Josh? Like are you are you are you are you beyond hyped or is there part of you that just like is, is dreading like if there's potentially a collapse going like where where are you as a Jets fan going into this season where obviously there are very high expectations yep. there is but for the first time in since maybe Namath you you've you have a generational talent at quarterback who even though he's getting older has has shown over the past few years that he still has the ability to get it done yeah no I mean I think you know last year's team kind of out of nowhere that was a championship level defense that was a for real lights out championship level defense in most weeks through like Thanksgiving that defense was elite if they had had even average quarterback play average quarterback play they go to the playoffs. If Zach Wilson had given you anything, if Mike Wilson had given you anything, and look, they coughed up some games, right? They, you know, they were on the goal line at Minnesota uh, late in the fourth quarter, couldn't punch it in, lost that game. You went toe to toe with the Patriots for four quarters. You lost that game on a, on a botch punt return coverage, you know? So they were, I don't want to say right there, but like they were, they were pretty close to the playoffs in spite of, of their quarterback play. So now, you know, you look around, you know, let's look, we're talking on June 19th. Let's assume that they figure out the contract stuff, uh, you know, with Quinn and Williams, the defense is going to be very, very good again. When Rogers, when that became official, yeah, I was, I was geeked. I was very, very excited. You know, as you alluded to, I mean, it's been just years and years of like the next quarterback savior between, you know, Chad Pennington and Sam Darnold, and Mark Sanchez, but like, this is different, right? This is a, this is an all pro all world hall of fame guy who, you know, he was the MVP of the league two years ago. Okay. It's not like he's completely washed up. He is still doing it at a high level. So I was very, very excited. And as time has gone on here, I think that became official in like late April. And now we're into mid June, late June. It's like, yeah, I'm excited. But like on this, on the next page, like, reality is setting in like a little bit like there's very little room for error like for this to work Rodgers has to stay healthy and he was not healthy last year now 
if Rodgers is healthy, great things can happen. I don't think it's like rational to think that the Jets can go to a Super Bowl, but when you have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, that is the ceiling, quite frankly, still. Um, you know, if if Brees Hall is healthy, if he's ready to go, you know, they I think they've got enough up front and on the outside, certainly not a ton, but enough where Rodgers can kind of do his job. You know, I pulled up the schedule as I was talking here. You know, when you have Rodgers, it's like, yeah, the schedule's brutal. I mean, like, you know, you're at Dallas. You have to host Kansas City on Sunday Night Football. You're at Denver, which, you know, Denver wasn't very good last year, but you still have to go to Denver. You know, you play a pseudo home game against the Giants. That's always an emotional thing. You know, at at Buffalo, you know, at you know, Miami's going to be good. Just a, it's a tough schedule. But again, if we're working under the assumption that everybody's healthy, everybody's bought in, Rodgers is doing it, the expectation is going to be a Super Bowl, but that's not rational. You know, you can go to the playoffs. You're not going to, I don't think they're going to win the AFC East, but you're going to have enough where you can be playing in January. That's what I think. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair assessment. But, but one thing I do worry about is just does the offense work? Like, it, I, I know last year he was in over his head, but the offensive coordinator is Nathaniel Hackett. Yes. And, you know, that didn't that didn't really work at all last year. I don't know if you're familiar with the Denver Broncos, <laughs> uh, but uh, th- things between maybe having a washed quarterback and also coaching, just like not not necessarily malpractice because they don't don't think Nathaniel Hackett was being as terrible as he was as a head coach on purpose, but um, like. I don't know that that kind of skeeves me out. Makai Becton kind of skeeves me out. Like I, 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 like he has to come back, and the reports have to be true, and he has to be in better shape. And if he comes back and devotes himself and is in better shape and could stay healthy, he's a very good player. They've seen that happen, but you're you're counting on that. And then everyone keeps saying like, oh, well, this is this is the best set of receivers he's had since he's been in Green Bay with Devontae Adams. Well, one that to me that I, I don't like that because are we all of a sudden now comparing Garrett Wilson, who I know has exciting upside to Devontae Adams, which that just makes no sense to me uh, as, as a as a proof of concept thought that those two can be like for like players like Devonte Adams. Like, I, I don't think people realize is like one of the defining receivers of this generation, like a guy that will undoubtedly be a hall of famer and go down as one of the greatest receivers to play the game of football in this era. And like, that's just like, that's putting a lot on Garrett Wilson who was fine last year and like made some plays as, as he needed to, but you know, still it's, it's a little bit iffy. And then you bring in Alan Lazard and you favor him over Elijah Moore. I didn't really love that move, but you know, it's, it's whatever. Got to keep Rogers happy. You just really have to hope this doesn't blow up because, you know, I, I don't know. It just feels like there's potential for it to blow up. 
It, no, for sure. Like, you know, you want to talk about the ceiling being a Super Bowl or a playoff appearance or, or a run. The floor is like, it blows up. The floor is like you're finishing like six on 11 and just nothing goes right. And like, look, like I said, like comparing Gary Wilson to Devontae Adams is like insane. But again, I think you have enough. I think you have enough for Rodgers between Garrett Wilson, Aaron Lazard. If McCole Hardman is healthy, if Corey Davis is healthy, if you're, you know, can you get something out of Tyler Conklin, CJ Uzoma? I mean, and again, Breeze Hall had a, had a, had a pretty productive, um, I was going to say freshman year. No, he had, he, had, he had a pretty productive rookie season until, you know, he, you know, he tore up his knee, Michael Carter, you know, you're not giving the ball to Michael Carter 25 times a game, but there's enough. There's not a ton, but there's enough. But again, this is the Jets. And if we're sitting here again, June 19th, we're three months from the opener, you know, 60-40, it doesn't go well. Maybe 50-50, but right now, just I think there's too much there to worry about. You know, my expectations are tempered. I think great things can happen, but my expectations are tempered. Hmm. And I think that's a, that's a that's a fair place to be. My thought is is I'm also curious what the defense looks like because for as good as defenses are, like we see it every year, it's it's hard to like maintain the the level. It's hard to maintain defensive supremacy. It really is. Like yeah, I, you you can't really think of that many teams that are just dominant defensively year in. And you're out unless you're thinking about like the top teams in the league, like the Niners and teams like the Eagles in the NFC, who are, are are both very good defensively, and you know teams like the Bengals and Bills in the AFC, who 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 are also solid defensively. Every year, it it just every year for these kind of middle, it usually seems like the number one defense goes to a team that's not fully put together quite yet to be completely honest with you and it's hard to like maintain that from year to year so I, I just wonder how obviously it was a, it was a championship defense last year it could have done that it was very good but does that level get retained going into next year it, it'll be interesting interesting to see on that front I think it it's tough I mean again let's assume that they get the Quinn and Williams thing straightened out he's one of the top interior defensive linemen in the league uh, if Carl Lawson stays healthy, I thought I thought John Franklin Myers on, on 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 one side was was really good last year. And again, Carl Lawson, you know, um, knee injury in twenty one played you know solid in twenty two. The continuity is there. I, you know, I, I think that's a part of it. I, you know, I I do agree with you. It's hard to maintain that level, but I think the continuity along that line, I think that works in their favor. Okay, I think that. That can be a fair point as well. I, Quentin Williams was so good last year. Hopefully, they get something worked out. It does feel like it will get worked out. I don't. I don't see there being a a huge rift there. The Jets. We'll we'll see how it goes. I I hope we it will. goes well for. I I hope it goes well <laughs> for you. I I I I don't need. I I hope that I'm not you know texting you in mid September and things have gone terribly wrong. So I'm, I'm hoping things go well for you, Josh. So you and me uh, both brother. So it's, uh, l- let's hope that, that, that holds. Uh, 
one thing I know I always like to bug you about this when I'm here, but like just the New York media market as a whole uh, just fascinates me. Um, it, it's really hilarious right now that both the Mets and Yankees are just like not good for what they want to be as <laughs> as uh, franchises. Like Yankees fans are complaining because even though they have a winning record, like they know this probably doesn't have the makings of a team that can win the world series and the Mets are just so bad. I mean, it's just, it's kind of, uh, kind of wild how, uh, non-competitive the Mets have been at points this year. And then they get close and then they kind of fall off and I don't really watch baseball either. So, I mean, those those assessments could be totally wrong, but I, I, uh, I, I listened to the, New York, New York, uh, ringer podcast. So they, they don't seem too happy with the, uh, with the old, uh, baseball teams in New York. And I just think when both those baseball teams struggle and have like some calamity around them, it's a, it's a, it's a nice thing to track. Yeah. It just snowballs and it's kind of hilarious to follow. And like the New York, New York ringer podcast is, uh, it's done by my guy, John Jastrzemski, who's a, a Yankee season ticket holder, diehard Yankee fan. He's like a, you know, stereotypical kind of Staten Island native with the accent and he'll, you know, he'll yell and he'll, he'll get into it. So, you know, John is funny, but you know, the Mets, Mets fans are already like pre-programmed to like think the worst. And of course, like this team that was supposed to be good, right. With Verlander and Scherzer at the top of the rotation and like would probably on paper enough hitting, it's supposed to be better than five games under 500 and like nine games out of a playoff spot. So that's kind of, that's like probably what Mets fans expected. And Yankee fans are always, are always hilarious because Yankee fans still think it's like their, their right or their destiny to be like winning a world series and not, not make a run through October, like winning a world series, right? 27 championship rings, you know, most world series wins in, in baseball history, just stop. I mean, they haven't been to a World Series since, you know, 2009. If you're a teenager or in your early 20s, you barely remember the last time they went to the World Series in 2009. You know, you you know, you know, barely remember Jeter playing. So, like, you know, guys of a certain age showing up at Yankee Stadium, like, demanding these things, it's like, just stop. Just stop. I mean, that's a, that's a generational thing you know, with Yankee fans, which is always, always hilarious. That's like the most hilarious fan base in New York by far. Yeah. Solid. Uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoy that. You know, the Knicks obviously back kind of, you know, that's, that's <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's kind of nice. They could, you know, I don't know. Maybe they go swing big in the off season. It doesn't. It's a pretty. Doesn't... It's a pretty low bar for calling the Knicks. Uh, you know the Knicks back by you know, by you know getting the five seed and 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 getting outclassed by the Heat. But I mean, I guess you know because again, like that bar has been so low for like so many years. You know the dark days of the of the two thousands and for a lot of the twenty tens, just complete circus and it's still a circus but at least there's you know some adults in charge now and you know Jalen Brunson obviously had a tremendous season um you know just as a fan I I would like to see them re-sign Josh Hart um you know I thought he was really good but you know in terms of like free agency or trying to get creative it's like the problem is is like they're right up against the salary cap 
So it's like you don't have a ton of room to work with. So you're kind of with, you know, Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. If they re-sign Josh Hart, you know, R.J. Barrett is obviously, you know, a significant piece. But, you know, I guess you could call the Knicks back based on uh, two playoff berths in three seasons, one of which included a a first-round series win over the Cavs. So, yeah, you know, (laughs) sadly enough, I guess the Knicks are back. Yeah, the Knicks are back. Just, just know that Nova, the Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks are back. Yeah, I love it. Um, one last New York question. Uh, Hit me. What happens, just from like, in a general like fan annoyance stat, uh, um, perspective? via you know the internet and talk calling talk shows if we get to like late november and the jets are really really for real and the giants have kind of regressed to the point where last season you see it was kind of a fluke they probably don't have their best quarterback of the future in daniel jones and we get to november and the jets are like nine and three and the or or eight and four and the you know the giants are like four and eight or or like kind of just barely struggling to stick around 500 you're asking i'm sorry what was the question uh the question i guess is like what what happened who's more annoying at that point jets fans from being you know that that from having that much success that quickly or giants fans who are just like, man, I thought we had this all figured out and we were back to being easily, easily giants fans. Because if the giants are in a tank like that, you're going to start hearing, you know, just like you said about Daniel Jones and is Brian dabble on the hot seat. Should he be fired? Who knows what the situation, who knows what the situation with Saquon is going to be. The thing you have to understand about the jets and the giants is the giants are, the big brother and the Jets are the little brother. And that's always the way it's going to be. Okay. Kind of like the Yankees and the Mets, right? The Yankees are the big brother. The Mets are the little brother. That's just part of the fabric of the city and of the region. That's just what it is. So, you know, I think from a fan standpoint, even if the Jets are eight and four, nine and three, there's still going to be this feeling of like impending doom, like on the horizon, because that's just what happens, right? They've had seasons, you know, what year was it? One of the years they went to the AFC title game, I guess it was 2010 with Mark Sanchez and they were nine and two or nine and three. And, you know, you knew that they had to go to new England on a Monday night. And I remember thinking like, as that season was going along, like we had this Patriots game circled. And I remember like, I like cut out of work early. Like I went to the bar, like with my dad and my girlfriend at the time, like we got seats and like, they lost 45-3 on Monday night to a Patriots team that uh, that they you know that they later beat in the playoffs. But there's always just this sense of like impending doom when you're talking about the Jets. They could be nine and three, and I'll still be on like pins and needles just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah, I mean that that does feel like the psyche of a franchise. I just wondered if maybe there was a chance they could break out of it with no. you know, this, this <laughs> new this new uh this new era but i guess it it still is you know you'll still be a little bit nervous until uh until you see it happen which Always. i guess 
it is like at what point what might you be like okay maybe the jets like won't screw up everything ever does it like have to be a super bowl win or like what what if what if say the jets this year somehow ended up in the, in the conference title game and at least it was close and maybe you just lose to patrick mahomes as most teams do i mean i would sign on immediately immediately for a trip to the afc championship game like right goddamn now i'll sign on for that but yeah like what would it be i mean yeah it'd be a crusher but i mean i hope that i hope that like the season was fun at least if we're getting into a title game probably wouldn't get like super duper upset if they lost to Mahomes, uh unless they were like in, in position to somehow win it and they blow it but like you know my wife hates this. Like she'll ask like, like a hypothetical question, just like you're asking a hypothetical question and I'll have like six follow-up questions to try to like formulate my answer. So like, if you're, if you're bringing up this hypothetical and they had this great season and it's a young roster and contract situations are good. My first question is like, all right, are we getting Rogers in 24 too to go run it back? Can we build on that momentum with a second year from Rogers and maybe break through to a Super Bowl? But, you know, in the interest of keeping it simple, I mean, yeah, on the surface, on paper, if you told me that Rodgers at 39 and the defense and with whatever shortcomings they may have, as we talked about at the top, if you told me this group would get to an AFC championship game and potentially like lose to the Chiefs and lose to Mahomes, yeah, I would I would sign on for that right now. Like that would be a tremendous season. I've only seen, you know, two AFC championship games from the Jets in my lifetime or ones that I remember anyway in my lifetime, yes, I would I would very much sign on like right now. Yeah, I, I just think it would be, you know, it's obviously kind of cool that uh if they uh if they somehow pull that off and i i'm rooting for him i i don't know if, if we'll get to that point but that does feel like you know it's possible and you know it, it is you know it is it is possible I did just want to ask you before uh before we go here this has been uh you know a lot of fun I I wanted to run some um college football stuff by you really quick and yeah. uh, c- c- and um so I one I just had like a little bit of a, a professional question like say you know um obviously you you no longer cover views for the Tribune, but say you kind of move on to something different. How, do you like, do you still, obviously you have some experience with Rutgers. Do you still kind of like keep those teams like on the back burner and like on ESPN have like alerts on and stuff like that uh, just to kind of keep an eye on, or will you just focus mainly on your next thing? I, and I'm not saying like you'll be locked in forever, but like, you'll know like what's going on and like, what's happening yeah yeah like in terms of Rutgers like no I don't like keep alerts on but like I still follow like the other beat writers and like I'll I'll read stuff on occasion and you know just covering college football like I'm trying to pay attention to you know some national stuff so yeah I'll pay attention to Rutgers but like yeah and certainly in the case of in the case of Utah specifically with this upcoming season look I covered that program you know hard you know for three seasons and like you know it's very invested it's hard to break that. So yeah, I'll, you know, I'll certainly have one eye on, you know, on what this Utah team is doing and just, you know, from a bigger picture perspective, like it's going to be a fascinating season in the PAC 12, like probably one of the most anticipated PAC 12 seasons 
in recent memory, just with the quarterback play, you know, between, you know, Cam Rising and Caleb Williams and Michael Penix Jr. and DJU and, you know, Jane Delore, there's a lot to pay attention to in the Pac-12. So, yeah, I'll be I'll certainly be keeping an eye on on, on Utah in the Pac-12, no matter, you know, no matter what happens. You forgot the legend, Bo Nix. Bo Nix is and Bo Nix. I knew I was forgetting somebody. But, I stumbled. I said Jane Delore. I forgot Bo Nix. The legend Bo Nix. Um who that is still one of the stranger stories I think I've ever seen. Bo Nix like stunk out loud and was very bad at Auburn for many years and came to the Pac-12 and was very good last year. So um, it's I'm, a system, it's a system thing. I mean, you know, I, credit to Dan Lanning. Yeah. Yeah, they just, you know, they got the best. I think I wrote this at one point last season, like, you know, that Oregon staff. And you're right, he was like very Jekyll and Hyde, hot and cold in his time at Auburn, but look, he got a fresh start, you know, young head coach in Dan Lanning, young offensive coordinator um, in, in Kenny Dillingham and whatever they did, they just unlocked his talent and they, you know, they got the best out of Knicks. And if you're like trying to rank the PAC 12 quarterbacks, you know, Knicks is probably, probably third, you know, behind Caleb Williams and Michael Penix, Bo Knicks had a, had a hell of a season last year. And there's expectations now that he can do, you know, the same or better this coming season. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's that's totally fair to say. How how confident are you after going through some of the spring stuff that these timelines for a guy like Cam Rising are are correct based on what you've heard from like the coaching staff and things like that? Because he, it, you know, from all the reporting, it's it was a pretty serious ACL tear and like one that like is not you know, there's different levels of severity for knee injuries yeah. and, and, and things like that. And this one seemed like it was pretty severe. I don't know. I, I have concerns just because I was pretty embedded with Utah State the past few years. And this is kind of what happened to Logan Bonner last year. Logan Bonner right. was very good in, you know, the 2021 season. One, yeah. You know, what won the Mountain West, played <clears throat> very well. But in that, you know, uh, LA bowl game against Oregon state blows out his knee comes back to start next season, but never really gets comfortable in the pocket. Can't really move around. That was a big part of his game. Can't really stay comfortable. And eventually by, you know, week four or five, he's getting pulled for Cooper Lega. And I, I just worry because cam rising people, you know, I don't think people would forget this, but like a, a huge part of his game is his ability to just get out and make make things yeah. happen when things break down and a, a huge asset to the youths is his legs like you're you're not drawing up a ton of designed running plays for him but when things break down and there are yards to be gained he's very much like a Patrick Mahomes type where he'll find what he needs to find yeah. with his legs and, and get the job done in that regard I just I, I don't know do you think like how severe was the injury and like do you think that all this speculation that he is going to be ready for the opener is, is accurate. I, I kind of won't believe it until I see it. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to like work in speculation here. I mean, th this is what I'll say. And this is like from my own reporting. Okay. Like Kyle Whittingham has been like very, or had been very adamant that he expects rising to be ready for the opener. Fine. August 31st, he expects rising. The thing with that is just common sense, right? 
you have to show up at, at camp at some point. You're not just going to have your first reps be August 31st. So Whittingham told me before spring ball, he needs to see rising in camp with, you know, about two weeks you know before the opener, uh, taking reps, knocking the rust off, working with your first team offensive line. You have to show up. So we're talking about like August 15th, somewhere in there, August 13th, August 15th. So you're talking about major knee surgery and it was a serious injury, Eric, as you alluded to. So if you need to show up roughly August 15th, that means you're showing up seven and a half months post knee surgery, ready to go at a high level. I think that timeline is really aggressive. So, you know, it's not out of the question, right? Rising has gone through the rehab process with his shoulder, tough kid, doesn't have a problem playing hurt, but this is a bit of a different situation, right? To come off major knee surgery and be ready to go in seven and a half months, you know, and Whittingham will tell you that, you know, he's doing fine with his rehab and he started throwing and he's ahead of schedule. Different deal though, when you're putting on uppers and a helmet and, and pads and the whole thing and you take a hit and you're, you know, and you're live against competition. So, so we'll see. I mean, like you, I mean, I've been skeptical the whole time about this. I think the timeline is really aggressive and, you know, spring practice, a lot of spring practice was about, you know, if rising is not ready, who's next in line. And as we head towards camp in about five weeks, um, next in line right now is Brandon Rose, you know, ran the scout team last year after Nate Johnson got the promotion, you know, there was some buzz about Rose coming into spring ball. He was clearly the best quarterback between, uh, you know, between himself and Nate Johnson, who, who missed about a third of spring ball because of injury. So, and I think I said this towards the end of spring ball, I think with what you have coming back on offense, especially up front, you can beat Florida with Rose or Johnson or Bryson Barnes if they get some help. If the running backs are going well, if Jaquindon Jackson gives you something, you can survive Florida without rising. My question then becomes, all right, well, can one of those guys walk into Baylor on September 9th and do it again? That's a pretty tough ask of a, of a very green quarterback, no matter if it's Rose, Johnson, or, or Barnes. It's a very tough ask to, one, beat Florida, but forget that, going in and beating Baylor the next week. So um, bottom line is, like, I'm, I'm skeptical. Um, if you think you can go to the college football playoff, which it, I guess it's not out of the question, if you think you can go to the college football playoff, you probably need rising healthy. If you're not worried about that, let's say you drop one to Florida, drop one to Baylor, whatever, you can still win the Pac-12. You, you need rising back. If something significant is going to happen for this team, whether it be the CFP, winning the Pac-12, going to a Rose Bowl, Orange Bowl, whatever, you need rising healthy, bottom line. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's well said. And I, I'm just interested to see how the rest of that um, plays out. Because I think w- without – Rising, it's still a pretty talented roster, and I, I I do think that there's you know a way that even if he never played this year and was an abject disaster, they still get to seven or eight wins. Uh, I think that with just where the roster is and how it's constructed, I feel like you can win seven to eight games with any quarterback you have, just because of how the program's been built over the past few years but yeah you're right I mean if they have rising and if he's 
really healthy, then there is, I think, an outside shot that you, you make yourself interesting as a college football playoff team going into November. I don't think they can survive the, an undefeated Pac-12 season, which is basically, I think, what you'd have to do to get in. Uh, and you definitely have to beat LA, uh, USC, pardon me, in LA. And I, I think that's a big, big ask right now. I but, mean, it's the most, I it it's the most ambitious schedule they've ever dealt with. Like, I don't know that, yeah. I don't know that Mark Harlan in hindsight thinks it's a, it's a good idea to play Florida and Baylor in back-to-back weeks, but like, that's where we are. But then, you know, they have no control over the conference schedule. I, I don't have it in front of me, but in some order, the conference schedule includes, uh, you have to go to Oregon State on a Friday night. You have to go to USC when they're going to have it going, right, with Caleb Williams. You have to go to Washington in November. Washington is my pick to win the Pac-12. You know, it's just this rugged schedule just week after week after week. You know, no Pac-12 team has gone undefeated in conference play since, like, 2010, I think. Utah is not going to be the team to go undefeated. Yeah. No, and I mean, the the this this one stretch they have in the late October to early November stretch is kind of insane. It's USC, Oregon, Arizona State, Washington all in a row. I mean, and, uh, and I mean, like two of those are on the road in, in USC and Washington, which are two very hard places to play. Uh, but yeah, it, it'll be very interesting to see what ends up happening uh, with Utah this year and in, in that regard. Yeah. Final question before yes, we sir. get out of here. Um, college basketball, obviously some big news over the past few weeks. Bob Huggins steps away at West Virginia because of stupidity on Bob Huggins' part. And then um, you've got BYU moving to the Big 12. Utah's still kind of rebuilding. Utah State's got this Danny Sprinkle guy who's, you know, was pretty well uh, admired in the big sky, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. What college basketball story, and I think I know where you'll go, is, is the one that you're most looking forward to going into next year as we are now probably about three months away from uh, starting to get a look at what the next college basketball season is going to look like. You mean locally? Uh, locally or nationally. It's what, it's what, what, or, you know, I know you're, you, you love college hoops. So I just yeah, want to no. see what, what, what's, what's uh, tickling your brain right now. Yeah. You know, we'll hit one. How about one nationally, one locally. I mean, nationally, I mean, I think we're going to start to see a lot more of the, um, the effects of NIL and how that is affecting uh, recruiting and, you know, the haves and the have nots. I mean, you know, Kansas was looking good to be the preseason number one team in the country. And then they get Hunter Dickinson right from Michigan and Hunter Dickinson, right. Big seven foot kid with one year of eligibility. Hunter Dickinson made it very clear that the NIL situation in Michigan was not, was not enough. And he found a good enough situation. So he just, you know, kind of will buoy a Kansas team that was already, you know, loaded um, in the Pac-12. I mean, Caleb Love was was set to go to Michigan. Uh, this isn't NIL, but it's, you know, a national storyline. I mean, Caleb Love was ready to go to Michigan. And the Michigan uh, academic standards, even for athletes, are kind of insane. 
right? So Michigan couldn't get him in. So now he'll go to Arizona, which did get him in. And Arizona's loaded for Bear. They can win the Pac-12 again. So, yeah, um, kind of got off topic there. But, yeah, NIL, Transfer Portal, those are all, you know, prominent um, prominent factors in what's going on right now in college basketball. I think you'll start to see more of the effects of that. Again, the haves and the have-nots. And then locally, locally, I am curious to see how BYU looks against against the Big 12. I mean, I don't think there's any debate right now that, that the Big 12 is the best conference in college basketball, you know, one through eight, one through nine, you know, tough every night. You know, we'll see what happens with West Virginia now that Huggins is gone. He had a transfer heavy. Uh, he ha- had, has a transfer heavy roster. A lot of that is because of NIL. But, yeah, the Big 12 is tough. I think I think BYU is going to be up against it a little bit on a lot of nights, especially on the road when you walk into, you know, Allen Fieldhouse and, and some of the tougher places to play in the big 12. So yeah, I'll be, you know, locally, I'll, I'll be curious to see how BYU stacks up. All right, dude. Well, we're out of time here, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on. This is, as always been a ton of fun and, you know, hopefully, you know, we're talking about, you know, whatever you're covering next year, the next time we do this next June, you know, wherever you end up, dude, I, I still want to have you on every year and like, it's always fun to talk jets and just general you know sports nonsense stuff uh it's 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 a ton of fun so thanks for coming on dude I'll, always a great time i'll be here man i appreciate it okay we will be back uh next week with uh with more this will come out today monday and then uh, we'll maybe have something out next sunday until then enjoy the rest of your long weekend peace out